When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Today is Sunday, February 4th, 2018, and this is Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media. I am Evan Valenti coming at you here on Super Bowl Sunday. Super pumped to be here with you guys on this Sunday for Celtics Beat episode 248. Today's show is brought to you in part by eHarmony. Go to eHarmonyRightNow.com and use my promo code CELTICSPEED at checkout for a free month when you sign up for a three-month subscription. Again, that's CELTICSPEED, the promo code at checkout for a free month when you sign up for a three-month subscription. One of my favorite grinders out there in the NBA universe is going to join us today of Barstool Sports. It's Dan Greenberg. But let's just be honest before we get to Dan Celtics have found a really interesting way to stay afloat without some key guys in the rotation. No Marcus for the past couple of days. No Kyrie Irving. Morris out for the game on Friday night. And Boston keeps on chugging along. Now they add Greg Monroe to the mix. And they're going to potentially do some more via Steve Bullpen of the Boston Globe. We'll break all of that down with Dan Greenberg coming up next. In terms of like your sleep schedule must be out of whack because you're doing all those like NBA recaps, not only just the, the season yeah. recaps. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember, I don't really remember when it's like sleep. Yeah, I figured. Yeah. It's my own, it's my own doing. So it's I all right though. It's good stuff. Everybody needs that. I think. I think we need like a, you know, like a something just besides like the C stuff, like to click on for you. Like I, I love, I like your NBA stuff. It's, it's really good stuff. I appreciate the appreciate uh, it. The time yeah, that I'm you trying to. Yeah, I'm just trying to keep it broad, and the clicks certainly are, are welcome, so not everybody's a Celtics fan, I've learned, so I'll just right. try to switch it up. Yeah, I like that, I like that, you just keep it, it's just quick hitter stuff, which I which I enjoy. Um, you know what I don't enjoy, though, is is the way that things seem to be kind of coming to a head here um, with the Celtics and two of their young point guards, and Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier, and you know, I was at the game Friday night. You know, spoke with Rozier after the game, and you know he was obviously elated over the fact the last two games been able to start. He's done a really good job, you know, playing, uh, in, playing in, in role in, in, instead of you know Kyrie playing, you know, starting point guard, trying to try to play that role. And, and Terry's done, you know, thirty one points uh, Friday night, Wednesday night. Of course, he had a triple double, seventeen, eleven, and ten. Um, and it seems like, and it, it, it felt like this was coming before, but it seems like now with the way Terry's playing, that they're going to have to make a choice in Celtics between. Uh, Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier. Um, do you have a favorite in that camp there, Dan? I don't know if I have a favorite, and I'm actually of the camp that they should just overextend themselves and keep them both. Okay. I mean, I look at it and I say, you know, what if Marcus Smart 
you know, market on, uh, as a restricted free agent? What if that price is only like $10 million? So wouldn't you think that this team is better? And you can obviously go over the cap to keep your own players. I mean, look at the, what the Warriors have done. If they've just been able to reinvest in their own talent and pay an extremely high luxury tax bill. But if you're winning, you know, Wick has shown that he's willing to do that. Um, you know, he did it during the big three era and things like that. So I look at it like, let's say they can keep smart for $10 million a year. Let's say that's, that's what Ames matches them for. You don't have to worry about paying Terry, not this year, not next year, but the year after. So I think if he's the, the better of the two players, he'll, he's going to be the one that gets the massive, um, the massive offer sheet. But you can always, you know, at that time, I'm pretty sure – um, would Hor- Horford might be up at that time. If not, he's going to be an expiring deal, which you can always move if you absolutely have to. I just think this team is better when you have multiple athletic guards to, to throw at guys because you could play Marcus really once or four, right? You can have Terry move either off ball or on ball in either of the two guard spots. Um, I just think everyone is seeing this unbelievable stretch by Rozier and, and, and sort of falling under the impression that, you know, this is who he is as a player. When you look at his whole body of work, he struggled shooting just as much as Marcus has, you know, for the entire season. So I just think we do this as Celtics fans where there were a couple games last year where Isaiah didn't play and we played well. And it's like, oh, is this team better without Isaiah? It's like, well, now we're, we're winning with Smart out. It's like, oh, we don't need Smart. And you forget about all the games that Smart has helped you win. And I think that's just what's happening. I like the fact there's two things you brought up that I like. The first thing that, that I brought up like, is, is – when you evaluate Marcus Smart, I think Bobby Marks had this, uh, and maybe Woj had it as well with the ESPN. I'm not really quite sure who had this, but mentioned how, like, the market for Marcus Smart originally was, you know, around 10, 12, you know, 14 million. With the fact that he hasn't been able to still shoot, um, he still has some, some, uh, we'll call it off the court issues. Whatever the heck it is, we don't really know. Um, his price has come down a little, maybe in the eight to ten million dollar range. There's not a lot of teams, just some with a ton of cap space. And if you have a ton of cap space, you're probably not going to spend a lot of it um, on Marcus Smart. So Marcus Smart's value right now is around eight to ten, but it's hard to kind of figure out what his value is on the open market because of something you mentioned. Like he can play; he's not your normal guard. Okay, he is a right. guard that can't shoot, but guards, as you said, one through four, and pending who that five is, if it's Chris Depp's Porzingis. Can guard one through five. One through five. So he's not just your typical point guard or your typical shooting guard. He's just kind of like this thing that you know you can't you can't put a number on the you know the fact that he can cover five positions almost. The fact that he you know late in the game against Houston drew two absolutely monster offensive foul calls on James Harden at the end of the game. Like you can't measure that stuff. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say and. What's interesting about him is he's the type of player, based on how Brad plays and based on their philosophy and their importance on versatility, he's more valuable to the Celtics than he is, let's say, the Nets or the Bulls or things like that, because he just he's the glue that allows them to play their preferred style. Because you know if he if he was more like when I think if, if they just had Rozier. They can't play Rozier against threes. They can't play him against fours. So you are sort of stuck into a traditional lineup whenever you have Rozier as that sole backup guard. If you're, if you're with, you know, Marcus, it just opens up Pandora's box for you to be a matchup problem. And even if you say his offense is a, is a huge negative, which it is, 
he can still run the pick and roll very well with Horford, right? He can still be a facilitator and create for others. He just can't shoot for his life. So I just think that's why I'm okay if the Celtics were to overextend themselves to keep him because he's more important for what they do than what, you know, any of the other teams in the league who aren't quite built like the Celtics are. They're going to have different needs. They're going to need Marcus to maybe be a scorer, which he isn't. Here, he, we just say, kind of like with Aaron Baines, don't worry about your offense. Just go do everything else. And if you score, you score. And, I mean, it's worked out. Yeah, I like the fact that the Celtics, especially with the way they play defense, like they really know how to utilize Marcus Smart to his biggest strength. Like he's an excellent on-ball defender, and we always compared him to Avery Bradley in that capacity. Bradley probably is a slightly better on-ball defender when it comes to guarding just guards in general. Um, and he gets, I mean, there's a, there was a great moment a couple of years ago where Avery Bradley's covering Carmelo Anthony and like Avery Bradley's head is literally in the chest of Carmelo Anthony. I thought that's a great shot. Um, but the one thing about Marcus that was better than Avery and is, you know, continually be one of the best in the NBA at is he's just a fantastic team defender. And if when like you watch a game and you get the ability to actually, you know, the, the best way to do this is you already know the outcome of the game and you can kind of focus on other things. Like if you, the second rewatch of a game is always my favorite just because you pick up on so many little things because you're not worried about the score. You're not worried about like getting a tweet out. You're not worried about this. You're not worried about that. You can actually watch the flow of the game and kind of slow things down, rewind and look at things. If you look at the activity that Marcus Smart does out on the floor on the defensive end where he's just kind of like jumping passing lanes and helping here and helping there and, 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 sliding this way sliding that way like his just team defensive iq is off the charts and again it's hard to measure his offense you know this is a team that can just say look marcus we don't really need you to score that much like when you're open yeah go ahead and shoot it you know we want you to be more of a distributor a playmaker from the point guard spot he's gotten better at that but defensively he's what really gives this team their identity i know they lost avery bradley they lost jay crowder they lost isaiah thomas in this past offseason and everybody talked about will the celtics still have the same identity we've grown to love? And the answer is yes. And a big reason because of that, Dan, is because Marcus Smart's still on the roster. He is a huge part of that culture. And that's when you look at what Adrian Wojnarowski has reported recently, and it looks like that Marcus Smart's available, I guess, for a first-round pick. Um, I have actually like a little bit of a hard time believing that's real just because I really do think that the Celtics value him a little bit more than anybody else really would, to be honest. Right. And and here's, and obviously I don't think that's really news. I mean, everybody in the NBA outside of like five players can be had for a price. So I just can't imagine, especially when you look at their history, right? I think Ainge learned a lot from that Perkins trade of what, what defensive chemistry and team chemistry can do to a team, you know, for if you break that up in the middle of the season. So Let's say they get the 23rd pick in the draft for Marcus Smart. How does that make them a better team now? And then how does that make them a better team next year once Gordon Hayward comes back? Because that's what I think we all need to remember, right? Like we, we're dealing with his offense, and his offense at times can, can hinder this team. But next year when you have Marcus Smart, who knows, you may have a high lottery pick, but I've sort of, I put that out of my mind. So if you just focus on, you know, Gordon Hayward coming back, you're getting such an influx of offense that his, that smart offensive responsibility and and his role in that second unit isn't going to be as crucial as it is to this unit now. So I can't, I don't, Woj hasn't exactly been 
completely accurate when it comes to Celtics news. I mean, he is still uh, a beast in the industry, but I just can't see what would be the benefit this year or next year to get rid of a guy who you may be able to match for, like we said, maybe $10 million, and it does so many things for you now just for a low end of the first round pick because you're not going to get a lottery pick for him. You're probably not even going to get something in the teens because the teams that have those picks don't need guards. So I don't know. I think everybody in the NBA has a price, but it would shock me if they moved up. I, I, I agree with you on that. And that kind of brings me to Rozier. And, and again, another thing that you said that I liked about Terry is like, and you compared him to Isaiah Thomas and it was, it's, and I, I didn't even think about that. It was actually a good comparison. How, you know, we oh, is this this team's better without Marcus Smart? No, they're not. They're really not. But Terry's doing a great job in his absence of playing well. In the absence of Kyrie Irving, he's played really well. Um, they haven't had Shane Larkin, so he's had to log a lot of minutes. So it's easy to see a huge jump in Terry Rozier's production when he plays so much and is and has the ability to shoot more shots. And the one thing that people are, I mean, people are already climbing on Terry Rozier's bandwagon, and I love I love this corner of the internet. I think it's hilarious. Um, but the one thing that keeps Terry Rozier from being a guy that you can't trade, and they and they obviously don't want to trade him for anybody. They they try. People wanted to trade for uh, Serge Ibaka last year, and Danny wouldn't do it. And now you see why, because Terry Rozier is is, not, is turned himself into a really great three point shooter. What you saw Friday night, I think, was uh, the the next part of his development that we've all sort of been waiting for. And he and he did a really nice job of of fight, like using his speed to get into the lane and kind of survey the defense and figure out what he can do from there, whether he can you know drive the basket and finish or kick it out to an open shooter somewhere or just prod the defense and kind of figure out how to analyze and how to attack it the best way. Again, that the, the past two games restarted, it's been a really nice, you know, uh, uh, in terms of, like, judging where he's at in his development, it's, it's a nice a nice thing to see. But the thing with Rozier... Yeah, and I... Go, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I just think with, I just think with Rozier, it's his stretch... Really, the last five games has been much better than, you know, the really bad slump he was on for pretty much all of January. But with these last two, I, I really think it's important to keep, you know, the opponent in mind, right? Like, he he may have scored 31-7, and seven, but Dennis Schroeder also had 25, 27 points last night. So that's concerning. And his shooting percentages have been lights out. But when you look at where he was in January, when was 39% from the floor, 32% from the field. Then you look in December, it was 40% and 36%. And then in November, 37% and 37%. And then in October, 37% and 34%. So while he's been great these last two games, I just think it's a little disingenuous to say this is the type of shooter he now is now that he's gotten the opportunity to start. He's had a really good stretch, but it would. this is why I don't think Ainge overreacts to anything that's immediate because this is who I think we all want Rozier to be consistently, but I don't think he's at that level where you're going to drastically change the makeup of your team just for a nice little five-game stretch. Yeah, and that's the big thing with Terry and with some of these younger guys. It's always been consistency. You know, you get a flash here and there of brilliance, and again, Terry's kind of riding this really nice wave right now. But again, consistency is what kind of holds these guys back. They can be good here, good there, good there. And that's what separates, you know, a decent player from a good player, from an above average player to a really great player. And the difference between Kevin Durant and Jason Tatum, uh, besides, you know, uh, experience in the league, is consistency. Durant goes out there and scores 28 points, 30 points a game every single night. Tatum has only done that once so far. So again, consistency is right. what's really big here. But again, the, the what Rozier does bring you, is something that they don't really have anywhere else. Like Marcus is a good rebounding guard for a guy that size. He's actually, in terms of a contested rebound rate, is like 
one of the best guys, if not the best guy in the NBA, 6'4 or shorter. I think he's close. I think I think Tony Allen was number one at one point, and I think Marcus has overtaken that just in terms of contested rebounding percentage. I think Sam Sheehan uh, had that little stat, which is excellent. Um, but Rozier yeah, is him, like, him both. Yeah, both Rozier and Smart are probably – I can't remember a Celtics guard that – that rebounds are like that consistently on the defensive glass. I mean, you look at their top three rebounders, it's like Horford and then Smart and Rozier are right there with Baines. It almost makes no sense. Today's episode is brought to you by eHarmony. Folks, if you're trying online dating, chances are you have run into some lazy text messages, dead-end conversations, and random matches that frankly just don't turn into dates. And just be honest with yourself, you really can't get to know somebody just by looking at their picture, that is exactly why you need to turn to eHarmony today. eHarmony is unlike any other dating site. They take steps that other dating sites don't just to find you a more compatible match. They are built to help you find lasting, meaningful relationships. They are not just a shallow hookup site. And we've had Jimmy Toscano of CLNS try out eHarmony. You got the 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 three-month, the three-month subscription, right, when using this promo code, which I'm going to tell you about at the end of the show, he found his latest girlfriend with, of course, the help of eHarmony in about a week. They've helped over a million people find their perfect match. Be one of those million today. eHarmony uses years and years of science and data and psychological research to send you the right matches. They simply just bring compatible people together and there are plenty of hookup sites out there this is not what eHarmony is for and right now my listeners get a free month with eHarmony when they sign up for a three-month subscription just by entering my promo code CelticsBeat at checkout stop waiting and start your journey to a satisfying meaningful relationship today can be fun to play around with some online dating apps, but you are ready to finally fall in love with somebody and have a meaningful relationship, there's one app that's built to bring you real love, and that's eHarmony. Come see how eHarmony can change your life. Go to eHarmony.com and get started today and use my code CelticsBeat at checkout. Back to Dan. Yeah, I love the um I think it's like it's either Sam Packard or it's or it's Corrales who has like who retweets every time Rozier gets a rebound, that Simpsons clip. Of like I forget the, the yeah, superhero. When he jumps up. yeah that's just I, every time I see that it makes me laugh and I always I always retweet that it's always hilarious but like they have two guys that rebound the basketball very well um, Rozier gives you a different breed of athlete than Marcus does again the one big problem with Marcus is as like a point guard he doesn't really find his way in the lane too easy where Rozier as you can see like when he finally hits his peak is going to be able to do that with relative ease and that's the one thing about Rozier like the potential upside do you think that if you were to put Marcus Smart and Rozier on like a level playing field, you try to analyze it. Does one of those guys stick out a little bit more to to you in terms of like their overall ceiling? I mean, I think I think Rozier has the higher ceiling in t- on the offensive end, but I think on the defensive end, he has a ways to go. Um, just in terms of his ability, you know, he doesn't. If you watch last night against the Hawks, you know, he wasn't really fighting through screens and things like that. He's just a streak and inconsistent, but. When you watch him play, if you see him and he gets the ball at the top of the key, he kind of reminds you of like a Kyrie Irving where he can like shake and bake you and get and use his athleticism to get into the paint. With Marcus, it's a little different. That's usually coming off like a screen. He's going to use his size and his strength to bully his way in. So it's, it's, it's tough because they're both – like when Marcus Smart gets into the paint, he's a bully, and, and I think he finishes a little bit better around the rim. If Rozier can – 
play like he has recently and actually finish at the rim and make his layups, you don't see too many guards being able to keep up with him, you know, one-on-one because he's got that, you know, more athletic frame. He's got more of a, of a handle and things of that nature. So it just matters. What does the rest of the team look like? And then which of these skill sets is going to be more important? Because if, if Terry isn't going to be able to show that he can be consistent offensively, I'm not sure he brings more to the table than Marcus. The difference is going to be if he proves to be he can be a consistent offensive player and he's giving you the same rebounds. And even if he improves his defense, you know, 50% of the way, now you're looking at a player that, that's probably a little bit uh, of a worthy investment. It's just we don't know yet because he's only been in the league two and a half years and he hasn't really gotten a consistent run where he's getting 25, 26 minutes a night. Whereas with Smart, you kind of know what he is even at his worst and how that can still help you because we see him for 30 to 33 minutes tonight. We got, I want to move on real quick here to some potential more additions for the Boston Celtics because we already have one. And it came down I think Friday. Yeah, Friday I was on my way to the Garden. And I got like a, I have, of course, as everybody should at this point, you know, up, uh, little notifications when Woj tweets and when Sh- Shams tweets. And so the Woj Bob came out that Boston was going to sign Greg Monroe to a $5 million deal. And it kind of, we all kind of saw this coming. It's, it's just kind of a matter of when it was going to happen. Uh, there was reports that Monroe was interested in both New Orleans, or New Orleans was interested in Monroe, along with the Celtics. Boston could offer more money. New Orleans could offer a chance to start. Boston would offer a team that's probably going to go further in the playoffs. Signs of Boston. It just, it, it was kind of a no brainer for me. Um, in terms of what Monroe brings, I think it, I'm ex- most excited about the fact that he's going to be able to kind of give some of these big guys a little bit more of a spell. I think Brad, and I think you've mentioned this a lot, and I think you've tweeted it out more than you've actually written about it, um, that Brad and the way their coaching staff manages minutes, like nobody is in the top 50 of minutes played per game average in the NBA on the Celtics. There's not one guy on there. I think Al Horford might average the most or might be Kyrie by now, but they're neither of them on the top 50. And when you look at the rotation they have with Baines and Tice and Horford, um, and you can even put Morris in that role, but Morris is kind of a perimeter pl- player, not more of a not like a big. You know, it's hard to find those guys a lot of minutes if they're not really scoring the basketball. Like Tice has been a, has been doing, I think, way better than I expected, and I think most people did in terms of you know playing good defense and and being a guy that does kind of the dirty things and and doing things that don't necessarily so up on a stat sheet. But I mean, you're not going to run plays from Daniel Tice. You're not going to really run too many plays for Aaron Baines, although he's a good jump shooter, not right. bad. Um, you know, Al Horford is fantastic, but Al Horford can't be your primary, like the only guy that scores, you know, as a, as a big on your team, you have to have something else. So when we look at Monroe, there are going to be things we talk about in excess to, to something, but I just think having a guy off the bench that can score at, at a position that you don't get a lot of scoring from is a huge, huge uplift for the Boston Celtics. What, what say you? Yeah. So I have. I'm mostly with you. Um, I'm I'm against the camp, and I found this a little bit uh, when that when that move was first announced. That oh, Monroe, he should be our, our starting center. And I have a couple of issues with that. One, if you look at the the normal starting five, so the Kyrie, the Jalen, uh, the Tatum, the Baines, and Horford, that team has played 260 minutes together uh, more than any other lineup this season. They're a plus 13. So they're outscoring their opponents by 13 points um, than any other lineup, which is pretty good. 
so when I look at that, I say the way that that starting five is constructed, even though he doesn't do it a lot, Baines and his mid-range ability gives them that space for the slashers like Kyrie, Tatum, and Jalen. I look at Greg Monroe. He's taking something. I think I put this in the blog. It's like 188 field goals on the year uh, attempts for Monroe. Only 15 of them have come from beyond 10 feet. So I'm not interested in having a guy on a unit that doesn't really need offense to potentially clog the paint. If you move him to the second unit, you have really the only slasher on that second unit is Terry Rozier, but nobody else can really score. So now you have that second reliable, you know, dump it down low when, you know, they're settling for threes in every second quarter and they're not going in. Like now we have a legit option, dump it down low. He's a pretty good passer. I think people don't realize that. But you can just at least go to him when you need a bucket. So I think his 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 need is, is more prevalent on the second unit. Whereas if you're ever in a lineup and you need to throw him in, you know, for a Baines, let's say Baines getting in foul trouble, that doesn't hurt you. But I wouldn't shake anything up when it comes to the starting unit with Monroe. I would just say, hey, let's just make him a focal point of the second unit. If we need him to sub in for Baines, great. But I see a second unit mostly of like smart Terry, Morris at the three, Tice at the four, and Monroe at the five. I agree with you on that. And, and like, okay, I I did this last uh, Friday night when we were doing some post game stuff for CLNS, and I was talking about how like people are clamoring for more uh, Monroe to start, and I think that's absurd. I, the only way I'd see that is in like a Gerald Green role, like against the Bulls in the playoffs last year, where it just made a lot of sense in that particular time for that particular series to get a little bit more skill on the floor and getting a guy like Gerald Green in there who can knock down an open shot, it did make a big difference. I think, I forget, was it, was it game three he went crazy or game four he went nuts and he totally gave them the, the spark they needed and they went on to win that series in the first round last year and against Chicago. And, you know, Monroe, you're right. And this honestly sort of feels kind of like a Doc Rivers move because this is like a, a guy in Monroe that's killed the Celtics for years and they go out and get him uh, when he becomes a bio candidate immediately, which is, is funny. But I've been watching Greg Monroe kill my teams for years. He was on Georgetown. I oh, it's Syracuse. brutal. It's brutal. He's been doing it. He was the ultimate 2-3 zone buster. All you had to do was put him in the eye post. He could shoot it from the free throw line, a pretty good clip. He could put it on the deck. He can pass. He can do a little bit of everything. So he was a guy that's really haunted my dreams for about a decade now. And I look at him. I look at the way Brad Stevens likes, as you pointed out, likes to use his bigs as facilitators we finally and i was kind of pissed we saw this already i was hoping he'd save this for later but we've seen the al horford with four wings around him as al is a point guard essentially uh even though he plays the five like i'm not i'm not gonna go that drastic with greg monroe but there's a guy that you can put him at either elbow facilitate out of the high post and because he's such a good shooter you have to respect that jump shot and play him up so you can have cutters cutting in the basket weak side and make you know, how many times could we see Monroe at the elbow finding a streaking Terry Rozier or a Jalen Brown in the basket for an easy two-pointer? Like, I can see that being a potential, um, uh, a staple of that second unit, potentially, if, if Brown were to end up in that unit and will they stagger the minutes. But I love Monroe signing because, and everybody wants defensive stuff. And I'm like, what do you need a def- defender for? Like, everybody wants to talk about Monroe's deficiencies defensively. First and foremost, he's not that bad. 
he's not like a rim protector, but when he was with Milwaukee, he wasn't that bad. And the way the Celtics played team defense and they use guys to help out in certain uh, situations, I think Monroe will be just fine defensively, although he's not going to be like a, a revolving door or anything. Um, but they are already a top two team in the NBA in terms of defense anyway. They don't need more of it. What they need is, is scoring. Danny Ainge has mentioned this right. in, years, in years past that they need more scoring. That's kind of why they went out and got Gordon Hayward along with Kyrie to get more scoring. You bring in, you bring in a guy like Greg Monroe, it's only going to help that cause. Yeah, and I think we always have to remember he's coming to under Brad Stevens' tutelage. So Brad's going to figure out where his deficiencies are, and he'll probably give him a 30, 40% bump in that area. So I think we're going to be, because he's just, I saw some crazy stat. It's like there have been 30 players that the Celtics have brought in as free agents in the Brad Stevens era, and like 25 of them, their PERs have gone up as the Celtics in other places. It's just like, I expect them to solve whatever his weakness is. But if you're only going to be, if he's willing to buy into the role and say, hey, you may only be getting 15 to 20 minutes a night, but during those 15 to 20 minutes, you're going to have an outrageous usage rate. If he can buy into that, it's only a positive. And like you said, he always kills the Celtics. So this also eliminates some curveball where he somehow ends up on Cleveland and now you have to defend Greg Monroe with like semi Ojale or something like that. Last thing, because we've gone pretty long here. Um, Potentially, Boston's still looking to add some pieces. Steve Bullpet came out with an article, uh, I think it was Saturday morning, maybe late Friday night, but I, I read it Saturday, about Boston may not be done yet. They're looking at potentially Lou Williams, looking at potentially Tyreek Evans. I don't, I mean, I, I like both guys. I, think, I mean, Lou Williams is an insane scorer. He's having a ridiculous year for the Clippers. Tyreek Evans fits a, a mold that Boston's kind of looking for, but. I'll be honest, Dan, I don't think they really do anything more drastic at this point. I think they like their team. I think they like the way it's built. I mean, if they're going to get rid of Marcus, maybe that that's that opens the door for Tyreek Evans. But I really don't think they want to go forward adding too many more new pieces to this team. I mean, you got to remember, this team added 11 new pieces in the offseason anyway. This team really still right. is trying to figure out how to play together. And... I mean, does Tyreek Evans really give you that much more of a chance against Golden State? Does Lou Williams really give you that much more of a chance over Golden State? Maybe a little bit. Yeah, sure. But I think the way they are right now, they, they in the way they're set up, I don't think they're really going to make any more moves. I know Bullpets is plugged in as anybody, and Danny probably literally sat next to him and told him everything and was like, here's what's happening, here's what's going to go on, give us a couple of days and then print this. And he did. But uh, I, I look at them trying to go after Tyreek Evans, and, I, again, it looks good on paper. I'm just not sure it's going to happen there, Dan. Well, I think, as with everything with Ainge, if you're talking trades, it just comes down to price. So Memphis is in a unique situation where they can say that they want a first-round pick, and they can say they want this and that, but every day he doesn't get traded, they lose more and more leverage because they physically can't keep him, right? Like, they don't own the bird rights. They don't have the cap space to keep him. So they have to get at least something. So if you're telling me that we get closer to the trade deadline and Ainge can get him for like, you know, Larkin, Nader, and a high second round pick, I'm all for that. Because, I mean, these are assets that, you know, you can can live with moving. But I'm not giving up a first round pick. I'm not giving up Marcus Smart. I'm not giving up Terry Rozier. Because like you said, for that price, if you're subtracting one of those guys, I don't think that that gets you over the hump. But I do think there is something to be said. If he can be had for a decent price, give me the best of this guy's season 
who's only going to be on your team for four months, who's looking for a, a big-time contract next year, that's the type of rental player I would want. I don't want to give up of something of real value because he's unrestricted next year. So let's say he gets an offer from somebody for $18, 19000000 million, and then you lose him. Well, now you just lost two years of Rozier under control and potentially the option to match Smart this year. Um, so I just think it comes down to price, and I think the same thing is going to be the case with Lou Williams. I mean, he's a guy who's going to be unrestricted. He's a little older. He's not going to really see that. Uh, he's instant offense, but almost as much of a negative on defense. So for him, it just comes down to a price. Are they going to be able to do that with maybe their low first-round pick? Maybe. But I'm not giving up anything of substance, and I don't think Angel either. So if that just means that they have to you know, trade a second-round pick for a guy that's about to be bought out that's maybe – a little bit lesser known player and we're not even thinking about right now. Fine. But I don't think that they're going to be done. I just don't think that there's going to be like a major shakeup. That's Dan Greenberg at Barstool Sports. Dan, thanks for joining me here on this, on Southwick Speed here on this Sunday. Appreciate the time, man. Keep up the great work with Barstool and we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Okay. All right, Evan. Anytime. Appreciate it, man. Keep killing it. Keep grinding. Go Pats. Yeah, go Pats, brother. I'll talk to you soon. And that will do it for this episode of Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media. want to take some time, first off, to thank you guys for joining in. Thanks to my guest for today, Dan Greenberg from Barstool Sports. You want to hear more from me? Well, check me out on my other Celtics podcast called Celtics Roundtable, a part of CLNS Media. Follow me on Twitter at Evan Valenti, E-V-A-N-V-A-L-E-N-T-I. Very simple, very easy. Enjoy the game tonight. I'm just going to throw this out there. Patriots 23, Eagles 20, Super Bowl champs once again, the New England Patriots. Enjoy the game. Again, big shout-out to my CEO and the, I will call him the podfather essentially at this point, Nick Gelso, my executive producer for this show, Larry H. Russell, helping me with statistics all week long, all month long, Greg Casoli of the USA Today Media Group and the Celtics Wire, my great people behind the music, Steph Legrato and Chuck Dietz, and again, one more time, Thanks to you guys for joining me here on Southwick's Beat as a part of CLNS Media.